Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. And as Hal says, we are celebrating Christmas. If you have not seen our bulletin, it's a, a keeper. We have on the front, we have a sort of a manger scene. And every now and then someone will say, but is it an accurate manger scene? Well, it tells the story. It has the shepherds, and then later, when the Magi appear, they're part of the story. So, it's no reason to be upset or concerned or too focused on the absolute detail, but it brings it all together. And I'm very thankful for uh, this bulletin that has some remarkable passages on the front. All right. As I said, welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. And this is probably, as I was working yesterday in my study, probably the first of a three-part session. What I'd like to do is talk about two couples and then the Christ child. And I think we may get one couple today the second couple on Wednesday night, and then next week, just after his birth, the Christ child. So for those of you who are going to be here just one, you have to be for all three sessions or you don't win the prize, whatever that prize might be. We always like to take a few seconds for spiritual preparation, and that's your opportunity to silently confess sins. Not that I'm accusing any of you of having sinned this morning. I know that we all have. But this is your opportunity to ensure as we begin our service that you are in fellowship. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And at that point, we are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. And he assists us in our spiritual life. And one of those ways is he fills us so that our spiritual life can be advanced. So we take a few seconds, closing our eyes, bowing our heads. This is your opportunity for confession of sins, but also your opportunity to focus on the worship service itself. Try to push aside all those what seems to be events that in that seem to lead our lives, that are interrupt us quite a bit. So let's take that opportunity now, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and in a few seconds I'll open this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this season. Although... It doesn't require a season for us to celebrate your love for us, the love that sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. But we are thankful for this time for us to focus, even to a higher degree, on who our Lord Jesus Christ is, his birth, and the answer to the hope of the problem of mankind, and that is our fallen 
nature. It's by way of the Lord Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross that we can have eternal life, that we can have his imputed righteousness. And Father, therefore, it's a wonderful time of the year to celebrate his birth so that he might have his ministry here on earth and finish, conclude your plan for him on the cross. We ask for your blessing upon us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our opportunity in this part of our worship service to express our love for God. It's our opportunity to give. And this is an opportunity that is not forced or anyone should feel guilty about giving or not uh, giving. It's simply something that is part of your spiritual life. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that this I say, that he who sows sparingly will also will also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give just as you decide in your own heart, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, because God loves a willing or a gracious giver. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this opportunity for our to express our love for you, for what you've done for us. And we're thankful, Father, that the minimum that we give or even more, it's all the same because it's given graciously. We ask for your blessing upon the giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Our message this morning is going to be, is our Christmas, Christmas special in 2021. And what I've decided to do, uh, in the past, I've focused on Zacharias, Elizabeth, a couple, by the way, and also Mary and Joseph individually, and also the Lord Jesus Christ, very often addressed as the Christ child. As a matter of fact, we've even studied angels, and there'll be an angel in our message this morning, Gabriel. But today I thought I would try to pull, or this season, try to pull this message together, this story together, calling it a play. And the cast of the Christmas story will include these five individuals, Zacharias, every now and then called Zach, Elizabeth, periodically known as Lizzie, Joseph, Joe. I don't really have a uh, a name for Mary other than Mary. Maybe that's because my mother's name was Mary. And every time I see the name Mary, I think of my mother. But Mary is involved as well. And then, of course, the Christ child. Now, as I said, as I was pulling this together, I thought, oh, this will be a nice service. It'll be enough for one service. And then, of course, as you probably know, I always 
underestimate what I can do. And so I've decided to bend to the fact that this will probably be a three-part session. What I'd like to say to begin with is where do we start with this? Because it's difficult to simply start in Matthew or Luke. That's where we find the Christmas story found, in Matthew 1 and Luke 1 and 2 and Luke. But I think the place where we should begin is in another location, and that's in Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14. Just to introduce ourselves to our situation. Again, it's difficult to tell the story here in Matthew or in Isaiah 7, but we have a prophecy. And the prophecy was given by Isaiah, and he gives this prophecy, not just the king of that time, but was also the the king dynasty that was reigning at the time. And in Isaiah seven fourteen, this is probably a passage that is familiar to all of us. And it's really verse 7 that says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you all. This is a plural, so we know it's not just to one king. It's not simply to King Ahaz. So it says, the Lord himself will give you all a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Now, the Hebrew is a little difficult here. And what we really have is, behold, the pregnant virgin is what the information we should gather here. This is a remarkable prophesy prophecy behold the pregnant virgin will bear a son and she shall call his name immuel and the translation the literal translation of immuel is with us god which we often use god with us and so this is the prophecy that leads our story as we turn to Matthew and also to Luke. So let's do that. Let's, first of all, meet our cast, and then we will jump into the play, as I like to call this. First of all is Zacharias, Zach. We'll see him in Luke 1, 5 through 24a. Secondly, another member of the cast is Elizabeth. We see her in Luke 1, 24b, although she is mentioned with her husband, Zacharias, in verses 5 through 24a. We'll see her in Luke 1, 24b through 25, and then 57 through 64. And this is uh, truly a remarkable couple. They get a little bit of short shrift as we come to the Christmas story. But their story 
is remarkable. As a matter of fact, uh, miraculous. We also will have Mary. Mary is taken from a Latin word, which really is taken from Hebrew. And the Hebrew name is Miriam. But Mary, I like the name Mary, is found, we'll see, in Luke 1, 26 through 38. And that's another remarkable passage. And in both of these stories, matter of fact, we'll add one more member of the cast, Joseph, found in Matthew 1, 18, 18 through 25, we find God's message, messages. And those messages come from him by angels. Angels play an incredible part of this play. And then finally, the child, the Christ child who will be the Messiah. And we will see several, more than several passages when we come to the Christ child's part of the story. But we'll start in Luke 2, 1 through 14. So today, let's just begin with Zechariah and Elizabeth, this first couple, as they are part of this story. Zechariah, you can leave Isaiah and turn to Luke 1. As we begin in Luke 1, verse 5, we have history. And the history tells us the background for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we read through here, it seems that there's a lot more information here than we would need. But I love this passage because Zechariah, Zach, is not really an, imp- an important person. He's a priest. He's one of almost 20,000 in Israel at that time. And his duty happens to start in uh, Luke 1, 5. So let's just read the passage. And then I have a few points to make regarding this. Luke 1, 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. And this again tells us there's a certain priest. It's a certain priest amongst many. He is named Zacharias of the division of Abiah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, this is inserted for, you might say, for what reason? Why do we need to know Elizabeth? Why do we need to know his wife and her lineage? Well, this is developed through the story. And that's very often how the Bible tells a story. There's an insertion early, and then it develops as we go through this. So his wife, his her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in in years. And again, this we could understand as more of an insert 
insert. Why? Because it's probably, of all the things we've just written, this is the most important part of this story. Verse 8, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So this tells us that Zechariah belongs to a division, and the division it's the division's turn to come to Jerusalem and serve in the temple. And there are there's one very special job during this uh, this session for them, and it's going to be the priest that enters the holy place to refresh the incense. And so this is going to be an incredible opportunity for Zechariah. And I'll review that later. So the lot fell for him to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, staying on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The word troubled is a bit understated. Again, I'll discuss this. But no one goes into the holy, the holy place. Just one person, the high priest. And when he enters, he's alone. There's no one there. No one would be there. No one could be there except him. And suddenly, there's an there's someone beside him. I don't know about you, but every now and then, you might think you're alone, and then you're not. And it can be just a normal situation. But it can scare you, scare your socks off of you. Well, this is even beyond that for Zacharias. He's in there himself, alone, with, with God, with the Lord. And suddenly, he is just scared. I'm surprised he doesn't jump through the, through the wall. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. You know, again, I always like to put myself in that situation. And that's what we need to do when we read the Bible. That way we get the sense of what's happening here. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. After giving the detail, this is amazing. God is the one that that gives the name for the son. And I'll review this. I'll say it one more time. I say it all the time. God's in, God's in the details. It's not, you'll have a son, you can give him any name you want. No, name him John. And then he goes through a list of about 10 items of what he will do. This is, again, remarkable. First of all, you will have joy and gladness. Also, many will rejoice at his birth. Why? Because he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Fifth, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even 
from his mother's womb. And, sixth, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Seventh, he will also go before him in the spirit and power similar as to Elijah. He will also turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Ninth, and the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And ten, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And all of those are important, but the last one, it says, he's going to prepare the people for whom? The Messiah. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? Another remarkable remark from Zechariah, from the individual who are receiving a message from God. And he says, how can I trust you? I'll address that a little bit more. I think we have to give Zechariah some credit here. And the answer, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, he says, let me introduce myself, is sort of what Gabriel says. And I would, I think that again, this would make a great play. And the, the director, the writers, I think would be able to go almost in any direction here. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Verse 20. But behold, you, this is, I was sent to speak to you. And you know what? You're going to stop speaking. You're going to be mute. And I don't know if we want to make too much of this, but he asked the question, how can I be true that, how can I be sure this is going to be true? And Gabriel says, that's the last word you're going to speak. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. In other words, Zacharias, this is going to occur, and it's going to occur at the precise time that God has planned this. Verse 21, and the people waited for Zacharias. So Zacharias is in the holy place. He's in the temple. He's in the temple here. The crowd is out here, probably, and he is here. Number two is, where do we have? Here is number four. The all, all, I don't hope you can see that. Maybe it's too far away if you've got great eyes, but the altar of incense, so forth. Here he is. He's right here, and that's where Gabriel appears to him, and this is Herod's, uh, Herod's temple. So this is how we believe it appeared at that time. So here he is. He's in here taking care of his responsibilities. The only high priest that would enter the holies uh, at this time. And he's going to do this for the time that his division is serving. And now he's going to return. He's going to come outside and... The people are waiting for him. And what are they waiting for him to do? He now is supposed to give them a blessing. He has fulfilled his responsibility of refreshing the incense. 
And now he comes out and there's a crowd of people out there. And as he's giving the the uh, incense, which was a sign of prayer, rising to God, he comes out, they've been praying, and he gives a blessing. Now, that's an important part of his responsibility, to come out and give a blessing. Well, if you can't speak, how in the world would you be able to do that? To me, this is rather ironic. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. He will not preview of coming. He will not speak until he's asked, what should we name this child? And he says, John. Verse 23. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed. So he continued to serve. I find that remarkable. If you suddenly couldn't speak, you can't fulfill your responsibility, you think he might be replaced. But he's not replaced. He continues his responsibility until his opportunity for that division has has been completed. And then what does it say? He goes home. I think there's a uh, message there for us. Even when we may have difficulties, may every uh, while we may have problems, we still have responsibilities. We're still serving. And I like Zechariah. He's still serving, even though he can't speak. And by the way, he probably couldn't hear either. We'll see that later. So it's as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. And the first part of 24. Now, after those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy that was simply given just maybe a month prior to that. And this is our passage for Zechariah back here for Zechariah. Now, a few thoughts. The cast of the Christmas story here, Zacharias. Before I go to that, many movies have shown the story of Jesus, his birth. But we're going to focus on the cast as we view the play. The cast is quite remarkable, but in reality, none of them could be seen as elite at that time. They were not. Zacharias probably would be the most well-known. However, he is one of many normal priests and so this is a remarkable opportunity for him. As a matter of fact, it's probably the most special opportunity he has in his life. So here we go. Our play begins with Zacharias fulfilling a responsibility that truly is a one-time life opportunity. He will serve in a special job in the temple in Jerusalem that fell to him by lot, not because he was special. They cast lots. This was the only fair way, they probably thought, of choosing who of the division would actually enter the temple. The other priest had other responsibilities. 
but he's the one that would be able to go into the presence of God. But that is nothing compared to what will happen. First of all, Zechariah was a priest in one of 24 divisions that served in the temple. King David had created these divisions so that there would be an even opportunity for the priests to serve in the temple. Each division would serve approximately twice a year for one week. So this was a rotating situation. The estimate is that there were between eighteen to 20,000 priests who were available to serve. To be selected to serve in the temple would be rare. Secondly, the priests selected to serve the temple would offer the incense. <clears throat> now, we have to realize that this is Herod's temple. So we don't have the ark. We don't have the ark. The ark was destroyed in 586 when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. So all we have now, apparently, is the furniture that's in the holy place. We don't have the ark that would be in the holy of holies. And so the close they can get to the presence of God in the temple is here at the golden idol, we say. So the priest selected to serve the temple, would offer the incense. The hour of incense came twice a day at 9 a.m. and 3.30 p.m. Our context is probably the offering after the afternoon. Third, the incense offered in the temple was an illustration of prayer rising to God. When the time of the offering of incense occurred, a multitude of people would gather outside to pray, probably in the woman's yard, which I showed you. And when the incense was uh, finished, the presenting of the uh, incense, they would, they would receive the ironic blessing by the priest, which was given, by the way, in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. For the Jews, this was the time to offer prayers to God because the ritual of incense would be offered by the priest. He's in offering the incense, and they would be praying. So as the incense, uh, the, the smoke rises, it's a picture of our prayers rising to God. And so at that time, this was considered to be the time that we want to be praying, so that our prayers are rising to God. All this to say is that this was the most special time of the priest's life. This was a great opportunity for Zacharias. To Zacharias and his family, this is the greatest time of their lives. But God has another event for Zechariah and his family that was significantly, that significantly exceeds his service in the temple. Fourth, we are told that Elizabeth, and you'll notice, as I said, she's inserted here. We're told that, that Elizabeth was barren, and they were beyond the age of having children. It's possible that Zechariah and Elizabeth had dismissed having a child. Having a child is the furthest idea from their minds. As a matter of fact, 
during the time of prayer that day, it's possible that Elizabeth was praying for that. But my guess is that maybe if she is, it's almost a parting thought because she's too old and her husband is as well. So Elizabeth Ennie had probably, and Elizabeth had probably stopped praying for a child many years ago. Or if they did pray for a, a child, it was hopelessly uttered. Five, Zachariah is alone in the holy place when someone appears beside him. The, temps, the text tells us that Zachariah was terrified. And I think that's accurate. Truly, for Zachariah, this was the last possible thing he expected. Can you imagine the shock? And I mean, that's what it probably was. And I don't know that we could even begin to understand how shocked he was. When you think you're alone and someone is unexpectedly and someone unexpectedly appears, you might even jump in the best of situations. I remember my father who had lost most of his hearing. He was because he couldn't hear what was happening around him for the most part. If you spoke or if you approached him, he was very often uh, surprised. I'll say that, surprised. Uh, and that's similar because it was deadly silent in there. And suddenly there's someone beside him. Six, the person is identified as an angel from God. Later, the angel calls himself Gabriel. An appearance of an angel at that time was beyond rare. Why? Because God had stopped appearing to Israel for the past 400 years. Now, they understood that there were angels, but God's appearance to them finishes with Malachi, and then we have 400 years, and this is the first time that God has appeared to Israel. This is absolutely remarkable. So while Zechariah understands angels, one hasn't appeared for 400 years. God had not spoken for 400 years. Gabriel has a special message from God for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Not just Zechariah, but also for Elizabeth. That will completely change their minds, their mind, their lives. And I think we can apply that we should know today God's will still changes lives today. Just a thought. Seven, not only will they have a son, but he will prepare Israel for the Messiah. Gabriel gives the son's name John. He says you will name him John. And then we have, as I said, the ten other descriptions about the son. So what we see here is that God's message is not simply something's going to happen in your life, but he gives him details about what's going to happen and what this son is going to do. And I think that one of the reasons he gives him those details is to tell them how special this son is going to be. Not just because he's born to a couple that is beyond childbirth, but he is going to change the world or at least begin. He's going to introduce Israel to a change of the world. The child will be extraordinary and, in fact, a fulfillment 
of a prophecy given by Malachi. My messenger is prophesied in Malachi 3.1. And this is the Lord saying, I will send my messenger. This is the messenger. Eight, Zechariah's response is, how do I know what you're telling me will come true? For most of us, this response is incredibly audacious. Incredible saying, praise God. Thank you. Wonderful. Zechariah wants proof. Now, I think it's difficult for us to comprehend what could be going through Zechariah's mind. But let's just say we might have responded in a similar way. So I try not to be too difficult on our Bible characters, and certainly not Zechariah. He wants to know. I'm old. My wife is advanced in age. She's barren. It's almost as, are, are you sure? Zechariah responds, his response gives us more intrigue to our story. I'm not sure, but Gabriel might have been annoyed by the answer he gives. However, God knew Zechariah's response prior to him giving it. So Gabriel is prepared for an answer. Gabriel identifies himself and his role from the presence of God. And that has to be, again, one of those remarkable comments. Let me introduce myself. I'm Gabriel. I come to you from the presence of God with a message from God. Any other questions? I mean, this, first of all, I'm sure Gabriel loves to give that introduction. He may have been, as I said, somewhat annoyed by the response, but Gabriel simply does his job. Ironically, the son, John, will be a messenger whose ministry will be to speak, but the sign is silence to fall on Zechariah. Oddly, if prophecy is not fulfilled, now let's think about this. He says, how will I know? And he says, the sign is that you're not going to be able to speak until this this prophecy is fulfilled. What if the prophecy is not fulfilled? Zechariah is speechless through the rest of his life. So at this point, Zechariah is, I hope, I hope that the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. I'd like to speak again. If the baby is not born, Zechariah will be mute for the remainder of his life. That probably was not the kind of sign Zachariah would have wanted to receive. And then 10. Of course, Elizabeth conceived and gave birth to a son. While Zachariah was aware that Elizabeth was pregnant until the birth, he had to wait for the prophecy to be fulfilled until he would speak. And we'll see probably also here, because when someone speaks to him, he must answer by writing. He can't he not only can't speak, but apparently they wrote things, wrote a message down to him so that he could then understand. So our, our application here is no matter how challenging the situation or difficult the promise to believe, with God, nothing is impossible. And as a matter of fact, that's the message that is given to Mary when she is told that even though she hasn't been with a man, 
she is going to be pregnant and she's going to give birth to a son. Now, I had hoped to also move to the cast of the Christmas story, Elizabeth, but I just enjoyed Zachariah too much. And so we'll have to push this to Wednesday night and maybe I'll be able to finish that couple and the second couple so that we can see the Christ child next Sunday. Thank you for your patience. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word of God and we're thankful for the remarkable prophecies that you have given us and the prophecies that you have fulfilled. There are many more, but if you've fulfilled prophecies in exactly the way that they were prophesied, we know that those that have not been fulfilled will in fact be done. We're thankful, Father, for this story as we enter the Christmas season. We're thankful for your love for us, for your plan, for your provision for mankind. And we're thankful that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has entered into human history as a man who would be qualified to go to the cross. And we're thankful, Father, for his sacrificial, his sacrificial work on the cross. And if there's anyone who has not made a decision for salvation by simply believing in his finished work on the cross, this is your opportunity. Simply by believing a thought that says, I believe. And at that moment, you have eternal life and the imputed uh, righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness that was produced on the cross. We're thankful again for this season. Help us to remember why the season is here and to rejoice, to celebrate it in the proper way. In Jesus' name, amen.